Hey guys, welcome to episode 7 of The Daily Churn. Today will be a bit of a special episode where we'll be covering churning as it relates to FIRE, financial independence, retire early. It's an interesting topic that I've been pretty excited to cover and I do think the two complement each other really well. You know, when I started these podcasts, I had really no intention of talking about FIRE, but now that I'm looking back at some of the topics I've covered, I'm seeing definitely a trend of where each of the topics have been useful not just from a churning perspective, but also from a fire perspective, which I think goes back to the fact that they do complement each other really well. But also just beyond that, I think there's some definite overlap between the kind of mentality that leads you to churn and that may lead you to want to pursue fire. With churning, there's a lot of thought around maximizing and working around the constraints of the system, right? In this case, it's usually about earning a bonus and figuring out the logistics of how exactly to go about doing that. And I think FIRE definitely shares some similarities in that sense, where with FIRE, you're really doing something also pretty non-conventional, where you're essentially working the system in a way that allows you to retire earlier than the standard 55, 60, 65, and just take a different approach. And to execute on that, there's actually pretty similar kinds of tools and approaches. With churning, I've got my massive spreadsheet that tracks all of my bonuses, when things are coming in, coming out, all of that good stuff. And similarly with fire, I've also got my big fire spreadsheet that's figuring out my monthly and annual expenses and income. So I think there's really some good overlap in terms of, I guess, the mentality or the skill set required for both of these things. So today I'm going to go through some of the churning activities that my wife and I have found really beneficial and just why I think churning can give you a bit of an upper hand when it comes to fire. But before we get too deep into that, I did want to just briefly cover where I'm at with fire and just maybe it can act as a bit of a primer if you're sort of new to the whole fire scene. So with FIRE, it's sort of segmented by how much income you plan to have available during your early retirement. On the upper end, there's fat FIRE, which, as it sounds, means you have a pretty fatty retirement nest egg, which then means you're able to withdraw more money during retirement. And typically, you're looking at people who are lawyers, doctors, etc., that are able to accumulate let's say two, $3 million into their nest egg, which then means that during retirement, they're able to take out like $100,000 a year. On the other end of the spectrum is lean fire, which as it also sounds, you have a much smaller amount that you're able to take during retirement. And I think the lean fire subreddit has a rough definition of it of for an individual being $20,000 of expenses during retirement and for a, a couple $40,000. And then, of course, there's just the middle regular fire, which is everything in between and is a more generic bucket. But to sort of figure out where you would potentially fit along that spectrum, the back of the napkin kind of math that you would do is essentially figure out how much you think your expenses need to be on an annual basis during your early retirement and then multiply that by 25. If you're used to spending $100,000 a year on expenses, you multiply that by 25 and now you need $2.5 million to do a fat fire retirement. Conversely, my wife and I are pursuing lean fire, which our target expenses for a given year is only $30,000. With the whole lean fire, it's really geared around taking a more, I guess, kind of a minimalist approach to your spending in terms of just like, hey, do you really need to be buying all these things? How does it really benefit you? And what really matters to you? You know, is it having that extra Starbucks coffee or is it not having to work 40 hours a week? 
And that was probably the hardest part for me was just making that shift in mindset because for as long as I can remember from straight out of college through all the jobs and promotions, I've always just scaled my spending proportional to how much money I made. And it wasn't really until I met my wife that she kind of showed me that there was another way of living where you didn't have to spend everything you made and you can save money and kind of scale down your spending habits. And that's really when we started going down this path of approaching fire and and lean fire. But even with that shift in mindset and saying that, hey, I'm okay spending less money than I'm accustomed to, you still have to try and get to 25 times whatever that expense amount is. And that's still a really big number. And so that's where this other approach called barista fire comes into play. And essentially that's where you quit your soul sucking 40 plus hour a week job that you hate. And instead you retire early, but are also working part time at something like a barista job or driving an Uber. But what that effectively does is it helps to bring down or offset your expenses. So whereas before you needed $30,000 times 25, now if you bring in, let's say five or $10,000 a year through your part-time job, you only need $20,000 times 25, which becomes a lot more manageable. When it comes to churning and churning fire, it can reduce your monthly expenses by actually just lowering them or providing some income to offset that. At the same time, it can also improve the state of your retirement bucket by increasing the returns there. So this twofold approach really puts you in a better position than if you were tackling fire without churning. So let's start with lowering expenses and some of the churning strategies that are really helpful there. Food is going to be one of your biggest costs. That includes restaurants, eating out, groceries, all of that stuff. And for us, we're budgeting about $600 a month on that and multiply that by 12. It's like $7,500 and that's 25% of our total budget. So anything you can do in this realm to bring that down is a massive benefit. And commonly, I think one of the jokes people make about people who lean fire is, yeah, you're just living on rice and beans. And, you know, that that's fine if you're okay with that kind of a approach to food. But that's where churning meal kits has really been beneficial to our budget. And I won't go into too many details about meal kits. I did a separate episode on that a few weeks ago, but essentially... We're in a really good environment right now for churning meal kits. They are extremely delicious and really affordable. And the side benefit of meal kits is that when you get these ordered, you're not going out to eat. And that makes a huge difference in your budget. On the times where we've gone out to see a movie and we're feeling tired afterwards and we just decide to go to a restaurant, that's $60 for two people. And that's equivalent to two full meal kits if you're churning them. Two meal kits provides six dinners for two people. So for the price of one dinner out, you can essentially have a week's worth of dinners covered. And so it really does make a huge difference to your monthly food budget. Then for general spending, we always try to have one card open where we're trying to meet minimum spend on it, where the bonus is actual cash back versus miles or points. Typically, it's pretty easy to find a card that has around $500 worth of cash back for $3,000 of spend. The one that comes to mind is the US Bank Connect card. And I think the US Bank Leverage card has that. Bank of America has a business card that does something similar. So there's a lot of options available. But essentially what that does is, assuming you're getting $500 cash back on $3,000 worth of spend, it's really a, around a 16-17% rebate on every dollar that you spend. 
And if your budget for the year is only $30,000 and you're able to put all of that spend on cards that provide this amount of cash back, you're getting $5,000 worth of cash back, which essentially reduces your annual expenses down to $25,000, which then has a really big impact on how much money you actually need in your retirement bucket for FIRE. The other area of FIRE where churning really gives you an advantage on is the retirement bucket itself. As you accumulate funds into your retirement bucket, those funds are going to be held in bank accounts and brokerages. And there's a whole rabbit hole of advice on how to divvy up your funds when it comes to investing in stocks and bonds and cash and stuff like that. So I I won't get into that for this episode, at least, but you'll need to have some amount of money in cash. And so it's going to be sitting in your bank account and churning bank bonuses is an easy way to make some side income by essentially improving the interest rate that you're receiving on your cash. I just did a Citibank one where if you deposit and leave $15,000 with them, they'll give you $400. And that's one of the higher deposit requirements. I think US Bank had a much lower one that I did earlier this year that also gave $400 for, I believe, only a $5,000 deposit. But essentially, that $400 is treated as interest. And so you can just calculate how much of a return you're getting for the length of time that you've kept the money in there. So with City, I had to keep the money in there for about four months until the bonus posted. And so if you calculate that, it ends up being, I think, a 2.66% rate of return over four months. And if you annualize that, that's an 8% return on your $15,000, which is an absolutely mind-blowing rate of return on cash. And so if you can keep moving your money around and opening these bank bonuses, you're really beating any kind of market rate for your cash. But obviously, you're not always going to be able to find bonuses and maximize all of your cash that way. And that's where just having a foundational checking account that has a really good rate of return is a pretty essential part of this strategy. And that's where H&M Bradley comes in. That was actually the very first episode I did was just because they had such a good rate of return, which is 3% on $100,000 of money. So that ends up being the base of what you're going to get back on your cash, which again is really amazing. And then all the other bank bonuses you do on top is just basically a cherry on top that improves your overall interest rate on your cash. And really, this is a very, very novel, unknown kind of a way of getting return on your cash. Because when you look at posts about fire calculations and you start getting really deep into how should I allocate my funds in order to try and maximize their returns over the next 30 to 60 years, cash is often disregarded as a a viable option and instead bonds are recommended. And that's because cash is generally assumed to be worse than bonds. The general thought is that you're essentially holding cash under a mattress and that cash is losing money every day because inflation exists. Well, with 3% return at minimum on your cash, that's actually better performance than bonds are in this current environment. And so that has the potential to change some of your allocations for the better. And it just never gets really discussed because basically no one except churners know that you can get such an amazing rate of return on cash when the national interest rate level is close to 0%. So that covers the cash side of your retirement bucket. The other side of that is your brokerage account where your retirement funds are being held in stocks and bonds, etc. Churning brokerages is something that's 
pretty unique to churners. I mean, my parents, I think, have had the same Vanguard accounts since their employer first set one up for them. Most people don't switch brokerages. Maybe they switch once during their lifetime, but actually churning these is extremely rare. However, it's also extremely lucrative. Just moving brokerages every time you've met the holding requirements to receive a bonus. For example, I just did an episode last week on interactive brokers and they're offering $1,000 of interactive brokerage shares for $100,000 of deposit. So that's an improvement of 1% on the market rate. And once you move that money to another one, different brokerages are going to have different returns. But essentially, you just keep hopping and earning that bonus and improving your market rate of return. And as your retirement bucket of funds grows, you don't have to move all of them into one brokerage at the same time. You know, you just move the minimum amount through a partial transfer into the brokerage that has the bonus and move the rest to another brokerage. So you're simultaneously tackling multiple brokerage bonuses at the same time. And they're all going to have different requirements. One of the smaller ones I recently did was Tastyworks. They offered essentially $200 worth of shares for a $2,500 deposit. So there's a lot of opportunities there to churn different brokerages for different amounts. And as long as you're comfortable and familiar with moving money across brokerages, which once you've done it once or twice becomes a pretty easy process, it's kind of a no-brainer for just boosting your overall portfolio performance. So those are the two main areas where being a churner means you financially come out ahead of someone who's doing fire without churning. There's a third, I guess, like a bonus area where I do think churning has some really noticeable quality of life improvements. At least I know that's one area where my wife is really happy that I churn things and that's travel with Lean Fire. One of the things that I think that turns people off it is that kind of a minimalist approach to spending where you're trying to save more and you sacrifice some of these fun things because you'd much rather not be working than go on a vacation then have to come back and work a 60 hour job right that's very understandable. But with churning, you can sort of have the best of both worlds. I won't get too much into all of the various credit card offers there are. Those are generally covered pretty extensively by all of the travel bloggers. But as an example, the 100,000 points Chase Sapphire Preferred offer that's around right now is really amazing. That easily converts into at least $1,250 worth of award travel. And I just opened one of those last month. But essentially, you're getting free miles and points for the money that you're going to spend anyway. And if you use those miles and points correctly, you can really get a ton of value out of that. I think churning and travel hacking kind of go hand in hand because, you know, you earn those points, and you got to spend them somewhere. But yeah, using them right can really deliver some really amazing travel options. For example, I just booked last week a Marriott travel package. I had one of those old ones still for seven nights at the Westin in Kona, Hawaii. It was the week before Christmas and the cash rate was over $800 per night. And so the seven night stay would have cost almost $10,000. Instead, I used my travel package, so I didn't pay a cent for it. We're going to have to pay resort fees and parking, but that's only a few hundred dollars. And so there's definitely this perception where if you're doing lean fire, you're not going on $10,000 vacations to Hawaii, right? But as churners, that limitation doesn't exist at all. You can absolutely take these amazing vacations using the miles and points you accumulate through churning. And it's just an option that is simply not on the table for someone who's taking on fire without churning. 
with churning, I think for the most part, everyone in this hobby really enjoys churning. You know, there's a thrill to finding these new deals and figuring out workarounds and there's a great community as well. And so the time that I spend on churning, I don't consider work at all. And obviously, to some degree, I'm probably pretty biased towards one end of the spectrum. I mean, I I'm doing a churning podcast, but, you know, I, I do think that on the flip side of that, if you don't enjoy churning and churning feels like a chore and it stresses you out and it's just not enjoyable, then churning fire may not be the right fit for you for your early retirement. Similarly with fire, it's not for everyone. Just last week, I posted that my wife and I are doing the fire thing and someone commented, hey, why don't you just cruise your job and get all the health benefits and just chill, right? And there's actually a name and a subreddit for that. It's Coast Fire, where the concept is basically that. You coast your way into retirement at your job and you have that money where you don't really care if you get fired or not. And that's a totally valid way of doing it too. You know, I think that's the beauty of fire. There are a lot of different variations and permutations to fit your individual circumstance. But overall of the different types, lean fire, I think, is the most attainable of the bunch. Churning just helps make that more so. And particularly if you enjoy the activity, then the two really do complement each other really well. And if you're familiar with doing spreadsheets and you're good with tracking things, tracking things in fire and tracking things in churning are very compatible. All right, guys, I will cut it off here for this crossover episode on fire and churning. If there's anything more specific about each of these, and I, I can probably go on for a lot longer, but let me know. And maybe in the future, I can do like a part two to this about a topic that you want me to go deeper into. Hopefully it was helpful or at least interesting to hear how these two philosophies kind of interact and really appreciate all the feedback so far. And definitely let me know your thoughts on this one. Thanks for tuning in. I will catch you guys next week.